Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's June 26th, 2014. This is On The Grid, episode 71. Dan couldn't make it this week, so we're joined by a guest, Emily Hosh, who is a designer for Cards Against Humanity. We talked about a designer's sense of place and social design. Here we go. So, I mean, this week, uh, Dan can't join us. I don't know what he's doing. He didn't, did he tell you what he was doing, Matt? He didn't tell me what he was doing. No, he probably got a new job. I don't know. Yeah, he's probably applying for new jobs or playing video games or something. Dan can't join us this week, so we're joined by Emily Hosh, uh, who lives in Chicago and is a designer, and uh, she'll tell you more about what she does. Thanks, Emily. It's good to have you. Uh, no problem. It's glad to be on the show. So, you work for Cards Against Humanity, correct? I do. And, and do you just write dirty jokes for them? What, what exactly do you do for Cards Against Humanity? Um, well, I'm a designer. I'm, I don't write anything. I'm not really allowed near the, their holy copywriting here. I basically do design a little bit of everything for them. I work a lot on the Cards Against Humanity brand, anything from the cards to packaging to various events and other weird shit that they do, which often involves things like starting brand new companies and doing all the design for that. So as of the moment, I am pretty much the design department of cards. It, it seems like a pretty adventurous job because you get to, you know, design all the crazy little projects that are kind of spinoffs of oh, yeah. what Cards Against Humanity does. Um, if, for those of our listeners that have not heard of Cards Against Humanity, if they're living under some sort of rock, uh, could you explain briefly what Cards Against Humanity is? Um, cards Against Humanity officially is a party game for horrible people. It's similar to Apples to Apples in that it's this... A card playing game where you get to sort of guess and make up really weird situations in response to a card with your friends. And a lot of it is interesting to see how deep and dark and dirty your friends really are. So it's like apples to apples, but, you know, the card might say something like, uh, for example, Pac-Man guzzling cum. Yes. That could, that could, just be, <laughs> yes. That could be a card. Yes. Uh, hypothetically, just pulling that out of the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you for, for joining us on the show. Uh, we usually just start off by talking about how our weeks were, because as Matt pointed out, we have no friendship outside of the show. <laughs> we have to record all of it for posterity. Oh, Well, we are recording, so how was your week, Andy? Uh, my week was good. I, I, I am in Portland right now. I don't think we mentioned that yet. Uh, I am recording remotely, uh, not, not from my normal, my normal setup. I am uh, out here for a weird conference thing. This dude named John Bell basically just invited some friends of his from the internet who he knows or doesn't know through weird ways to come out to Seattle and hang out. Um, so tomorrow I'm going to do that. Pretty much nothing planned. It's going to be like weird and off the cuff, but I'm excited about that. Stop by Portland real quick to visit some friends of mine that just moved out here from Baltimore. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm traveling. I'm on the road. Uh, so it is, you know, a busy week because I had to do all the travel stuff uh, and get ready for lights and all that crap but uh but no it's been a really good week we're trying to we're trying to hire people uh at friends of the web which is it's a lot of work it's really super duper hard uh to do do that well uh and it's always you know it's kind of new for us we've only hired a couple people in the past so yeah. every time we do hire somebody we we get better at uh at doing it and we actually do everything more properly and take more of the steps you're supposed to take as a real company um so so yeah we're, we're doing that and that's that's a lot of work but uh i don't know how do you fi- actually how do you go about finding candidates i always find that the most difficult Ooh. piece is Finding the portfolios that kind of fit what you need. I've I've probably now been been doing that for like, I don't know, maybe two of the four years, like actually actively seeing portfolios at times, and that is incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's um, I mean we're hiring developers right now, so it's a uh, we actually have a much easier time finding designers. I think I kind of think my my approach to design is that 
no matter what your sort of background is, I feel like you can be useful in some way. And we tend to cycle a bunch of part-time designers through that are students at MICA or otherwise, you know, employed somewhere else. And that, that's never difficult for us. But finding developers is always really hard. Um, I think we've mentioned on the show that, like, uh, you know, a designer can only do so much bad in the office. At the, at the very worst, they're just not adding to, not being productive. Um, but you That's know, the point at which I say, I can't believe you for a heartbeat, but yes, I, well, okay. I mean, it, I, <laughs> I think it's hard for someone to kind of slow everyone else down, but a bad developer, you know, writing some tough code that can, uh, that can really suck up everyone else's time to try and fix. So it's a challenging yeah. thing to find. We, um, that's actually one of the big challenges, I think, is that I think um, one of the ways you end up being an idiot tech company that just hires a bunch of like white dudes is you don't look in the right places to hire people. You just like hire your friends and you, you know, post shit on Twitter when you're looking for jobs and that's all you do. Um, so this time we're being very, very conscious about trying to, uh, you know, write a thorough and appropriate job listing and list all the benefits and make sure the benefits are inclusive and, uh, you know, thoughtful um, and posting the job in places that are outside of our normal circles to make sure that we are getting, you know, as fair and diverse an applicant pool as, as we are able to. Um, that's one of the big challenges. Uh, and so we've been posting it pretty much everywhere that doesn't require us to pay money because most of those places are kind of rackets. Um, and it's been a lot of word of mouth, uh, which has been helpful, but we have gotten quite a few applicants from all over the place, all different ages. So it's, it's been nice to get sort of a huge, huge range this time. It makes me feel like we're doing something kind of right. Well, good job. That's a tough thing to do. I, Emily, I think you were traveling recently as well. I saw on Twitter, you were mentioning various cities you were in doing stuff. What, what's up with that? Well, really it was just mostly one city. I was in New York, uh, most of last week and a little bit of this week. I just got back on Tuesday. And Monday, I was in Philly uh, visiting a friend who moved to D.C. for a job. And instead of going down to D.C., we decided to meet halfway in Philly, which was interesting. I can't say it's my, my favorite city, but the people are, people are great there. <laughs> yeah, I saw at least in the couple hours I was there during the day, I saw at least like three different street fights, which sort of puts Chicago to shame. Philly has a reputation, I guess. My favorite thing about Philly is that they have... All their stadiums require jails because they're the city that boos Santa Claus when he walks in the oh, field. Oh, awesome. But also, we also threw batteries at him, too. That's the other thing you forget. Oh, uh, wow. The, the old vet stadium, people threw D batteries at Santa Claus one year. That was, that was a good time. Was that a Baltimore thing you just said or a no, Philly no. thing? I, I was raised in Philadelphia, man. Philadelphia is my, my home, my stomping grounds. That, that's where I grew Why up. Why did I forget that? I don't know if I remember well, that Well, because I wasn't all. really raised in Philadelphia. I was raised in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia. I just I tell okay. people Philadelphia because it's less shameful. Um, but well, no, I mean, throw batteries at Santa, but yeah, when it came to like sports news and, uh, you know, the sort of metropolitan area I was in, it was all Philadelphia. And, uh, yeah, one year when I was growing up, apparently, uh, D batteries thrown at Santa Claus was, was a big thing. Why? And then, why uh, did they hate Santa? I, 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 I wish I could tell you. <laughs> they all, they all probably I was, got I was, cold that year. I, I was but a young child. I also know the other thing that the, the vet, the, the, the vet veteran stadium, which is, uh, the stadium that was renowned for having the jail in it and for the sort of D batteries being thrown. It's just been, it's been uh, demolished. The other thing that that stadium was known for is apparently uh, regularly, like it was a normal thing. The stairs were shaped in such a way uh, that it, in, it seemed to encourage people to, to urinate down them. So people would, would <laughs> at sporting events, pee down the stairs in a sort of like river of, of urine, human, human urine. That's, yeah, Philadelphia's cool. Uh, Maybe that's just like a Philadelphia form of descent. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. That's it's a thoughtful, thoughtful descent. Of, it's a criticism of the architecture. Look, this place is so wanting to be peed on. Blame the architect. <laughs> that's actually a 99% invisible episode that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it's a, like a bizarro world, Roman Mars. It's really into like <laughs> weird shit like that. He'd probably be into that normal, not bizarro world, Roman Mars. 
We have a sponsor this week. This week's episode of On the Grid is sponsored by Autosavior from Astute Graphics. Autosavior is a free plugin for Adobe Illustrator that'll automatically save your work for you. With Autosavior, you can customize the frequency of saving, keep a backup of the previous saved state, customize settings per document, and it even features a reminder option. If you'd like to download this free plugin today, visit astutegraphics.com slash grid. That's A-S-T-U-T-E graphics.com slash grid. Anyway, back to the show. So you mentioned that cities you felt like were kind of like soul crushing to creativity or, or something amongst young people. Could you could you elaborate <laughs> a little more on on how your first trip to New York made you feel about uh, young people and living in cities? Uh, something that I did notice about New York is, I mean, everybody that I met did uh, sort of seem to disagree with the cost of living there, and it really got me thinking about like at what threshold does an expensive place kind of kill the notion of uh, failure and being able to have the space, time, and money to fail, which I think is essential for anybody starting really experimental creative projects. It seemed like New York has kind of crossed that threshold a little bit, which, you know, maybe I could be wrong. And, and there are very cheap places in New York, too, uh, where I feel like you can still live kind of affordably. I'm not sure mm, well, how Paris to you I know, mean, the Midwest or I'm coming from like Chicago, so... Well, if there's a lot of distance, I mean... I don't know if there's any place like in in New York City. In one to, of the five boroughs. I mean, if you go pretty far north, maybe, or you go pretty deep into Brooklyn, or you want to live in Jersey, but I, yeah, no, the five boroughs, like you got to go, you got to go deep in a borough to to be reasonably affordable. Like I I will agree with the cost of living thing. It is a like you kind of have. It's kind of amazing that anyone survives an internship. To me, like yeah. I kind of only did it based on favors. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how, quite how that's done. I I did happen to meet a lot of designers that were interning or freelancing, and it's boggles my mind how they make it work or how they have time to work on other projects. Just because literally everybody in New York is just working all the time. I don't know if that's literally true per se. Uh, I mean, there's a trade off. I feel like I I agree that you know. One of the reasons I like Baltimore is because it is comparatively cheap. You know, I look at D.C., look at New York, look at Boston. Even Philadelphia is a bit more expensive than in, uh, in Baltimore. Um, it's like a, a city where you can start a thing or where you can, you know, kind of live very cheaply in the name of doing something that you believe in until it sort of gets off the ground. Um, but there's also a big trade-off there, which is that in New York, you're like the center of the cultural universe in a lot of ways. And you have mm-hmm. access to all these sorts of things that you don't have access to you know, elsewhere. I mean, if you're talking um, about like physical cultural institutions, uh, yeah, to some extent, and I'm sure it's also to like a social circle as well. I mean, there's a lot of really amazing, talented designers in New York, but you know, I was be I was able to basically walk in the city with a couple Twitter connections and meet like ten different amazing people out of that that I never met before. You know, I think that an internet connection is kind of allowing you to work wherever, whenever, and. You know, as long as you come back to civilization every once in a while, um, it's starting to change that way. People tend to be kind of at the, the extremes of that, I notice sometimes. Like, I know a number of people that are like, I'm going to live wherever I want because my job is a computer job. And so I live, you know, in, uh, you know, a, a cabin somewhere in the mountains or I live at the beach uh, where there's like no major cities around. And this is like my whole thing. It's like that's kind of my brand as I work remotely for all of my freelance clients or whoever I work for. Mm-hmm. Um or you're kind of in a city, and there, there is, I, I, I wish I could buy in more to the idea that, like, the internet is just going to remove the, the sort of 
financial and cultural reasons to like be in a in a city but um he's still like you're still in chicago i mean chicago is not a cheap city compared to other places you could be um what make what brings you to chicago exactly um i'm in chicago because i mean born and raised in illinois so for me chicago was the sort of one place to go also i went to school here uh which is kind of what kept me in the city uh for a time i did want to leave but i think especially after going to cities that are you know much more expensive than chicago like boston or new york for example or even san francisco like i do feel like the balance between a creative community and the cost of living and sort of a central location is is worth it for the time being yeah it is kind of a balancing act i guess yeah. the the right amount of like creative opportunity with the right amount of you know convenience and you know some sort of institutions you can access and sort of use to your advantage. Um, yeah, I guess it is kind of that way. I mean, Matt, I mean, you're in New York because you wanted to work for Pentagram. And that's where Pentagram was. Or, or is it more right. like you really wanted to be in New York and this happens to be a good job there? Like, I, my understanding is you're no, kind of there for the it's job definitely, first. It's definitely like job first and I would have moved wherever that was going to be. Um, but having like, and I don't, also don't think I would live here um, if I wanted to start my own thing. Like, I don't think this would be the place I feel like I would want to, pay rent for a working space or to like get something started. I just don't think that trade-off would work. But in terms of, of working for an established place, like there are, there are some very clear reasons why it works. And I think just the number one is just building relationships with people who also happen to be in the same city. As much as I would love the idea of the internet being the great equalizer to be true, like it just, it does, doesn't work yet. There's no, there's no, there's no replacement for like meeting a person sitting in the same room and going over something in detail. There's just no other, there's no other good way to do it. And I don't see any, I don't see technology solving that in the near future. I mean, it's not a, it's not a complete one-to-one -one no, replacement, but no. there are definitely plenty of examples of people that, you know, we have clients that we've never met face-to-face -face that we've been working with for, oh, and for I have years. Too. That, and it's, you know, it's are, just that it's different. It's just different. It's yeah. just not, it's not quite the same. Yeah, it's also really interesting, you know, kind of touching again on the, the hiring we're trying to do. We've gotten some people that have applied and want to work remotely from some other completely different city. Uh, and it's interesting to like see people that, you know, have full resumes of jobs they've had with all different sorts of companies and they've done it all from their house in, you know, a flyover state uh, that they, Actually, you know, would you do that? I don't think I would hire someone that yeah. way. I don't think I yeah, could would you, work would that you way. Would you hire somebody like that? Uh, we, we're, we're trying to decide right now. Um, mm. Basically, I think we're, we kind of put the job postings out there for a more junior position. We were hoping to get somebody that was, uh, you know, just kind of getting, just kind of getting into web development or iOS development, we could sort of help nurture them. Um, we've gotten a lot of great applicants that are that are far beyond junior, that are very sort of senior, uh, and very experienced, and wouldn't require kind of the uh, sort of guiding touch that a, a pressure person would require. Um, we would definitely never hire like an actual junior person remotely. I think that if you're going to be, you know, learning from someone day to day and pairing on code and stuff, you really got to be in the same place. But, yeah. um, you know. I'm working remotely for these two days when I'm from Portland, Seattle, and, you know, we, parts of our company will be remotely for some amount of time. You know, one of my, uh, one of my uh, coworkers is in Ohio right now uh, with his girlfriend for the next two weeks, and he's working remotely for that time, and that's not going to be problematic. So I, I do kind of admire the companies that are able to do just that, you know, like the 37 signals model where it's like, we're going to hire the best people. We don't care where they're located. We don't want to uproot them. We just want them to be, you know, the best at whatever they do. And they make that work. It's just a very different thing. You know, right now our culture is very much about being in the office and sort of talking to each other and having yeah. that communication. And 
it would just have to change. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of open to that change happening if we find the right person that is remote. Uh, but it's going to be, you know, we have to decide kind of as a group if we're willing to take that leap. It's just, I think it's, it would be a lot of work to kind of um, make someone feel like they're a part of the team. It's a, it's a lot of extra effort. Like even just, you know, our building has a couple of floors and even just people who sit on a different floor that happen to be on the same team is a very different relationship than the people you just sit around makes a humongous difference yeah i mean i agree especially within like a, a working environment i mean i would stress to have people in the room as you know as much as possible especially if they're like junior designers or junior developers or what have you but i think what i was talking about was more like uh culturally or socially you know i can get as i feel like i can get most of out of what i need out of chicago than the co- trading in the cost of living in new york yeah, and I, I, that's largely why I'm in Baltimore, too. Like, I think Baltimore struck that same chord with me where it was like, here's a place where it's still a city, you know, I can still ride my bike to get around and reach everything I need to reach, you know, easily. And I'm, you know, have access to public transit and I have access to train lines as expensive and shitty as they may be. I stick still <laughs> there um, and, you know, get all of that for, for a lot cheaper than you would in New York. And I felt like it was the right kind of, uh, the right kind of uh, you know, balance for, for what I wanted to do. And I feel like Chicago... I've only been to Chicago once, and it was a it was very cool to be there. It seems like a really great city that kind of has a similar vibe going for it. Um, Chicago has a really great, really great rap scene, and Baltimore does not have a good rap scene. <laughs> and I'm I'm jealous of all the good rappers in Chicago because uh, we have pretty much nobody here in Baltimore. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's definitely a matter of hitting that balance. So so Matt, if you weren't working for Pentagram, if that was not the job you wanted now. Uh, like job independent, what, what kind of city would you, or what kind of place would you like to live? To sort of, I've I've thought about that a lot, and I I don't know if I have an answer. Like I do, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, which is a pretty small. Like I grew up in a very small town, and the area is kind of like a bunch of small towns together in a valley, um, which I like a lot. But I also have thought about like I would love to live there, but I've also thought about the the kind of work I like to do, and I don't know. If I would be able to do it there, I'm not sure. Like a lot of, I think one of the big differences too that um, that when we talk about the show is like I'm not only working on web stuff. So a lot of times it involves that I'm going to a printer or a fabricator or something and checking on something, and that's a very useful thing to have access to. So I don't know how that much that would change. Like I feel like part of me thinks I need to be in some sort of city to have access to all the uh, the people making the stuff, so I can kind of go see it and be a part of the process but i would love to just kind of live in a little tiny place in the country and and not think about it and just pretend like the internet solved all my problems but i don't i don't know if that's true or not so that's a long way of saying i have no idea andy <laughs> i have this weird thing I, i'm in portland right now uh, my first time visiting portland and you know on paper and really in a lot of ways like portland is much more in line with my values as a person and much more in line with the things that i think are important and my priorities than Baltimore, certainly, uh, as a city. Uh, sure, have, you love putting birds on stuff, right? <laughs> I love putting birds on stuff. I mean, no, but like the, I mean the, the bicycling culture out here is, is great, and there's all this organic, and, you know, the food scene is all about, uh, you know, actual cooking and, you know, farming and co-ops, and you can make all the Portlandia jokes you want, but that's the stuff I actually do believe in and like, care about. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. So, but it's like, I have this weird thing in me where it's like, I, I don't... I was just talking uh, about the people that are my hosts here. I was talking to my hosts about this, where I feel like, I don't know if it's like I don't deserve to live in a place that is like perfectly suited to me, or like I feel like I want to be, <laughs> I want to be some kind of an outsider in the place that I live. But like I, I've, I've, I've watched videos online of, you know, like 
rush hour commute in Copenhagen. And it's like porn to me, like all of the bikes <laughs> and all of the public transit. It's like, this can't even be a real place. I can't, I've never been in a place like this where, where this, this is kind of the mentality of, of everybody. Uh, and that seems like a, like a utopia to me, but I, I feel like I could never actually live there because I, I think I would just like, it just it doesn't feel right. I don't know if it's... Are you, are you like a, the kind of person who needs to be in a bad relationship so they can fix somebody? Do you need to fix your city? Like, is it settling to be in Portland where everything's perfect? I, I'm not trying to... F- I'm, I'm really not making any effort to fix Baltimore whatsoever. Uh, but is that the attitude? Like, I mean, what, I, why, be, why not? I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm trying to figure it out and put words to it. Like, I think to some degree, like, I, I do definitely take pride in having started our business in Baltimore and you know, get kind of like doing what we do in a city like Baltimore. I think that more people should be doing that kind of stuff in cities that are not, you know, tech hubs and Silicon Valleys. I think that's, I, I think there's some, some pride in that. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know if it's like a weird, like masochistic thing. Like you don't deserve this, Andy. You don't get to live at a place where everyone else bikes around and has cute dogs and, you know, wants to grow their own kale in the backyard. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, it kind of touches on the fact that like, you know, in high school, I was like the art kid, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to go do art and, you know, fuck all these people that want to go to regular college and get degrees and become lawyers and, uh, and, you know, accountants and, you know, financial managers, like that's some bullshit. I'm going to go to art school. And then when I got to art school, I was like, fuck all these people that are making art for no reason and just like expressing <laughs> themselves and just like, you know, dicking around. I'm going to be practical and I'm going to be, you know, the, the most utilitarian uh, person I can be in this place. And I, I felt like I kind of never fit in but not in like a sad way and like i made myself not fit in kind of way uh and i feel like if i was in portland maybe i would just be like you know what i'm gonna buy a car and uh, start eating processed food because this is this is some uh, bullshit i don't know um <laughs> just give <laughs> either you have to go the other way or you just give it I, up I, and you're like up oh, i'm just sitting sitting fat and happy or whatever the opposite of that with kale is but yes <laughs> i'm sitting full of antioxidants and happy uh yeah i, I guess i'm I, I feel like i'm forever the devil's advocate and in baltimore being the devil's advocate means advocating for these things that the city as a whole does not care about there are no you know great movements in baltimore for all these things uh well. and you know it's nice to kind of i guess go against the the grain to some degree yeah, I, I, it's kind of tough because I don't really know exactly where I want to end up. I don't think I want to be in New York forever, but I really, you know, I really like what I'm doing. But it, it has almost nothing to do with location. I could be if I were doing this and it, it happened to be anywhere, I'd just be there. I don't really care where I am. I think actually that maybe the problem is I don't feel any attachment to the place I'm in. So like I don't, I don't really feel that way one way or the other. Like I don't feel like I need to uh, fight against it or be a part of it. I'm just okay it's a location and i'm more interested in the things that i'm doing i like i like creating stuff and i like i I, honestly it's not even being part of a design community like i feel more uh more design community in like doing this podcast than i do about being amongst a lot of designers that happen to be in new york i i have those feelings too about chicago sometimes um i mean obviously it's a huge city and you know i i love the design community here sometimes i don't love them so much as i'm sure many people do but i do feel like sometimes it would be nice to like maybe be in a better place. But I think for me, I'd really love to take the leap and just go abroad, just completely skew the US. And that, that's my feeling too about, I look at like the Netherlands and I'm like, this would be yeah. like- Yeah, it's, it's hard though. It's like, it's, you have to be very choosy about where you go. And it's, I, I know Europe, for example, is extremely difficult, especially like Denmark and the UK oh, yeah. are, are very they difficult don't want you to emigrate there. to. You kind they of do have not to, want you there at all. I have to say, like watching other people handle visa issues, I, I'm very thankful that's not that's not something that's in my life at all. Mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of you. We had actually, yeah, unfortunately, totally. we had a designer who like is in between visas and had to go and just has, is like in the weirdest limbo of just having to go home for maybe a month and maybe can come back. 
but might just have to go through their own country and then come right back or go to their own country and just sit tight for a while and wait for an answer that you can't you don't really know about like i'm i'm beyond thankful that it's not a a part of my life at all or even just like paying lawyer fees to find out what the possibility that it's a scary thought yeah for sure i i I get so envious of people that are so in love with the place like I saw Myra Coleman speak in New York and she's a quintessential New Yorker. Like, you know, she's, she talks about how much she, you know, this is very much her home and she can never imagine leaving and she loves this place. And she goes to the sculpture garden at the Met every week and goes and sits in the sculptures and writes. And like, it's such a huge part of her identity. And like, as much as I like Baltimore and I'll, I'll advocate for it more because it's an underdog than I, that I really like super love it. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't have that in me at all that like pure love of like i know this is definitely where i want to be forever i can't imagine having that feeling um i i know that like I, for many years i second guessed baltimore a whole bunch i was like this is the only city i've ever lived in maybe everything i like about this place is going to be exactly the same but every other city maybe it's just like living in cities is way better um yeah but ultimately i was just like you know what this is the kind of thing where you could just second guess it forever but i'm kind of in the if this ain't broke don't fix it kind of attitude where i i like it well enough and there's nothing that's sort of pushing me out so i'm just going to keep staying there until i have a really good reason not to be there anymore that's the only way i can kind of rationalize it otherwise i feel like i would just stay up all night kind of looking at cities on wikipedia and wolfram alpha and trying to figure out which one was the coolest to live in well you have the luxury you have the luxury of traveling and using baltimore as a home base yes that is true and baltimore is a great home base because it's cheap nice affordable home base i do sometimes wonder if if i'm like uh if there's something generational about not feeling like you have like not feeling like you're going to have a home, like the the way that um, I feel like a lot of people in our generation don't necessarily want a car or like feel like they're going to buy a home and just like perpetual renters because they didn't really grow up in a time where that, that seemed even all, all that feasible or just we're young and eventually we will feel that way. And we're just talking to people who felt differently um, when they were 20 and now they're 40, 50 or 60. And it's just a different story. Oh, well, I mean, I, I feel that way. Like I, I, I don't own a car. I've never owned a car in my life, and I hopefully don't expect to own one, at least while I'm in Chicago. And no, I don't have any plans of buying a home either. I mean, obviously, living in a major city, homes are prohibitively expensive. Not in Baltimore. Woo! No, I mean, I, I definitely... <laughs> well, well, you can buy homes very cheaply in Chicago, but it's uh, probably going to be in neighborhoods that... Maybe don't. Want maybe to be maybe in, that's the difference. But... I mean, I I don't own a car either. One of my goals is to not own a car until it's either driving itself or it's electric, and that will. I hope not to get a car until I have a kid and like have mm-hmm. a necessity to have a car. And that's way off. But I do really want to own a house. I super. I hate renting. I renting like I have this horrible sense of mm-hmm. like constant nomadicness that I don't embrace. It's like a it's a weird thing. It kind of haunts me about houses where like something's wrong and it's small enough that it's not really a problem and the landlord's not going to fix it, but. I shouldn't fix it because it's not my house and I'm just like putting money into this place that doesn't even matter. Uh, it really drives me up the wall. And in Baltimore, you can buy a house for $5,000 from the city and then fix it up however you want. And they're really like... $5,000? Really? Yeah. No. So, so at really? my... Uh, wow. All right. I'm just going to get a second house in Baltimore. <laughs> we, we, we've joked about that with a couple of friends who live in D.C. <laughs> and they're like, oh man, I should just get a weekend house in Baltimore because it's easy enough. <laughs> um, no, a friend of mine is, is doing the, uh, the Vacants to Value program in Baltimore. So Baltimore has, you know... 14, 15,000 ish vacant lots, uh, you know, because in the 1960s, Baltimore had a million and a half people in it. Now we have 630,000 because of the whole thought of industry and the white flight and urban sprawl, all that you know, stuff that happens to a post industrial city. Um, so lots of vacant lots, uh, and the city will 
sell you a vacant lot that's in a neighborhood that is not totally vacant. Like you can't just buy, you know, a vacant lot in the middle of like a bombed out block where nobody lives. But if there is a neighborhood that's kind of like on the fringe uh, where, you know, there's people that are living there that are still living there that have been there for a long time and there's like an active neighborhood association, but there are still vacant lots there. Um, the city will sell you that for somewhere between like two and a half and five thousand dollars. And the only stipulation is that you have to make it livable in the first 12 months. They also lock in your property taxes for 10 years, which is a big deal, too, because property taxes in Baltimore are bad. Oh, I wish that happened in Chicago. <laughs> we get taxed up the nose. Thanks, Rom. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to own a house. Um, uh, that, that, that to me is very appealing uh, just because it would be like concrete. Like, I hate the idea that like, I mean, I guess maybe I'm like weirdly sensitive to it because my the landlord for our office just fled the country and like fucked us over. Uh, and this is weird sense that like there's this other person that has a huge effect on my uh, my trajectory and like the most important things in my life, like where I live and where all my stuff is. Uh, it gives me like a constant, very subtle, like sense of unease. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to buy a house sooner rather than later. That's, that's one of my goals. Place is a, is a weird thing for our generation. I think you're right, because I mean, I, I know that most of our parents generation at least had the attitude of I'm going to work for this company for a very long time. All of my parents and my aunts and uncles are like, you know, lifers at, uh, at a company pretty much. My dad's a weird exception. We should have a whole episode about my dad someday. He's, he's got a crazy life. Our generation, it's like you spend more than three years at a place, you're stagnating. What are you doing? You got to get out, uh, which, is, which is a weird kind of super big shift from our parents, which were like, I'm going to work somewhere forever and get a big pension. And that's my whole thing. Yeah, it's definitely hard, especially now, because I, I, I graduated college about six months ago, and a lot of my friends are now leaving, some of them for New York, actually. And it's, Definitely going to be interesting in the next year or so to see how many come back or how many stay in the city that they're in. It's almost like, fuck you. If you're staying in Chicago, oh, fuck you. Like, you're, you're lame or you're not doing anything in your life. But, but Chicago is a very exciting place. Why, why would they say that about it? Um, well, a lot of them aren't from Chicago, so they don't have that attachment uh -huh. to place that most Midwesterners mm -hmm. tend to do. And, you know, especially a lot of them are also artists and designers, and it's fun and exciting to move, and it's as you said, like staying in a certain place for too long makes you sort of stodgy and old. And who wants to settle down when you're 25 or 23? Uh, yeah, I'm stodgy and old for sure. Confirmed. Definitely a stodgy <laughs> old man. Oh, well, no, no, no. No, I, 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 I embrace it. I embrace it wholeheartedly. There's a, every year there's a mass exodus of graduates from, from Micah in Baltimore to, to go to, to New York. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I joke that I have more friends in New York than Baltimore. And I, it's a joke, but it's probably true. Like there's definitely more people that I would call a friend that are, you know, live in New York just because that's where my friends went. Um, Matt, are you like mostly friends with people in like the design scene in New York or like, ooh. I have to say oh, most of my friends in New York went to Savannah College Art and Design with me. Like I have a lot of friends who also happened to move to New York. Gotcha. Um, so it's still and, people, uh, all people from SCAD. It's all people that go back. It's really, further. it's a surprisingly high percentage. Uh, yeah, like people who went to SCAD or like people who are tangentially related to that somehow. But yeah, very much. Um, and even I, I've had a couple of friends move to New York and then move away. But even more so, maybe one year after college, as opposed to I guess I'm, I'm getting closer to four years after college. But a lot of college friends, everybody just you're right. Everybody moved to New mm -hmm. York. Yeah. So how do, how do we uh, how do we end this conversation? Is there anything useful we can like throw in here for people? Like, is this a conversation people care about? Are we being interesting, or are we just boring people with our own little stories about place? Place is definitely, I think, from what it seems to be, more of a personal issue than something that you should ever do what people tell you to do. Um, 
But I mean, I definitely agree that, you know, living in some sort of city is good for designers at least. And, but if you want to live on an island or a boat or somewhere else, you should go and do it. So, I mean, this week in kind of uh, hipster designer website news, uh, Supply is going to be shut down. Uh, it was sold to eBay a couple years ago now. And uh, as of this week, there's a banner on the website saying it's going to shut down mid-August and everyone should export their data. Uh, and sort of hot on the heels of this announcement that Supply is going to be shut down, uh, Ben Perrot, the designer, founder, uh, creator of Supply, uh, announced that he and Fictive Kin are going to be putting out a Kickstarter tomorrow to build supply again, basically. Uh, they, they're going to bring it back, essentially. Um, I think, obviously, changing some things about it. Um, this is an interesting trend, because it reminded me uh, also of um, Upcoming.org, which is one of Andy Bio's projects that he sold to Flickr, I want to say, in like the mid-2000s. Um, but he just recently bought the domain name back from Flickr, who sunsetted it and decided they didn't want to deal with it anymore. And now he's going to be building that again also. And he had a successful Kickstarter project to raise a bunch of money to do that. Um, and this is weird, I think. And I want to sort of get both of your takes on it. Um, these are both situations where, you know, people started a website, sold it to a big company, presumably made some money. That's the point of selling something. Uh, and then that big company sort of shut it down, got whatever value they wanted out of it. And now these people are going to do it again. And mostly what I'm hearing from people is like excitement that this is going to be coming back Uh and what I'm not hearing is the kind of thing that seems obvious to me, which is like, hey, I was excited about it the first time, and you sold it to this company, and it got shut down, <laughs> and now I feel angry at you but for doing that to some degree. Um, but, and yet these people are able to raise money on Kickstarter to do, this, uh, to do the same thing again, which it seems like a weird, a weird thing. On a more local note, it actually kind of makes me think of every block a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's sort of like this uh, sort of hyper-local neighborhood social network that was pretty active in Chicago here a few years ago. Um, I think it was uh, invented by the same guy who uh, kind of invented Django and all that. Um, and actually got sold to MSNBC or NBC. Oh, weird. And, th- and they actually shut it down for a time. And just recently, I think the past couple months ago, NBC happened to be acquired by Comcast, who then actually brought back every block. It's now live again and is from what i hear pretty much unchanged that's so, so it's strange <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah i'm not you know i don't work at any of those companies so i'm not really sure what the internal reasons for doing so were i mean i'm glad it's back I'm sure there must have been some lobbying on their part but it's sometimes it's not the end all be all yeah and there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff we could speculate on which i don't want to spend time speculating on like i i don't understand how Part of the acquisition was not including the IP such that somebody couldn't go make the same thing again. That seems like a weird term for an acquisition, but I mean... Well, like non-competes? There must be non-competes. Yeah, maybe they're expired or something. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with all of that. I don't know how that sort of shakes out, but we shouldn't just sit here and sort of guess at that. Let's just assume that everything's fine. Let's assume that this is like totally great and eBay is not going to get in the way and Flickr is not going to get in the way of new upcoming.org and the new supply. You keep saying Flickr. Is Um, it Flickr or Yahoo? Or is it they sold to Flickr who then sold to Yahoo? I think I've heard... I think they... I think I've heard Maybe Yahoo. it's Yahoo. Maybe I mean, I know that Flickr is owned by Yahoo. Maybe yeah. I'm just conflating the oh, two. Okay. Um, maybe it was Yahoo. I get them confused sometimes because they're the same thing to me. But I, anyway. I read that. Uh, I, I read the full Kickstarter for Upcoming.org. And, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like that should be the first thing you think is like, well, I got burned before. Am I going to get burned again? 
um, not that the, not that it was funded the same way before, but you know, you hypothetically trusted them with your data. They sold to a company and then wrote a long letter that could. What was that Tumblr? Our incredible journey. Yeah, they wrote the long letter about how the acquisition is going to be great. Yep. everybody's going to be happy. And then our vision will continue enough, with new assets and new skills and new capabilities. Sure, and yeah. then it gets shut down, right? Yeah. So I should, probably should have thought that, but actually, the the upcoming .org one seems sincere, like a you know I made a mistake. I kind of wanted you know it's it seemed all great and exciting. We were going to get a new team, and I don't think it was a you know it's not a disingenuous. Our journey will continue. It's like we get new resources and it gets to be exciting and um you know yahoo's going to support this thing and then it gets shut down and you think well maybe i made a mistake but i i do wonder like how often that can happen before people are just like well also there are competing tools that are already existing and do we really need to spend time building things also building things that failed question mark because they're not they're not being shut down because they're massive hits and they're making lots of money mm-hmm yeah, and I, I, I don't want to think, I'm not like throwing shade at Andy or, or Ben. I think that both of them very earnestly want, like love these projects and want them to exist. And, uh, you know, whatever their reasons for, for selling them originally, like we can't speculate on that either. Um, I don't think this is like a, hey, you made a bunch of money the first time. Let's do it again and make a bunch more money a second time. I don't think that's happening at all. Um, I mean, frankly, like I totally get the, like I'd spend a bunch of time working on something and it became successful enough that someone else was interested in it. And I feel like the the chance to redo a project that big that you cared that much about is like an amazing opportunity. Um, it's it's just a very it's it's so weird. It makes me feel like it makes me feel like we're at the end of like ideas, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I don't understand like especially within startup and valley culture. Is it people are just building these companies and these products to a point where they will be acquired by some sort of corporation? That is, is that the point, the point for, for many, 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 many people. I don't think that, that Ben and Andy are in that group of people, but lots of people are like, yes, I'm going to build this product until it is ripe for the picking by Google or Facebook or Microsoft or Apple, and then I'm going to make a bunch of money, and then I'm going to you know, have a bunch of money and probably do it all over again, and that's my whole thing. I'm a big tech douchebag. So... And, and, a lot, and a lot of times these acquisitions are not, as you can probably guess, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, Yahoo genuinely cared about this project and really wanted to foster it. It's that they wanted some talent or they wanted some IP or they wanted some, some aspect of it they could integrate into their sort of larger vision. Um, and same goes for eBay. You know, I think eBay wanted, uh, sort of saw the acquisition with, of supply as like, we're going to get better at, you know, appealing to younger markets and at doing discovery, like supply is just a discovery platform and eBay sucks at discovery. We're going to try and improve that. Um, but it wasn't a, like, we love this product and we want to sort of, you know, keep it going. It's a, it's a weird thing, but yeah, like I said, it makes me feel like, uh, are we out of ideas that like, it makes sense to kind of redo these things over again? Is it, it, there's like kind of two takes. It's like one take is that like, you know, everything is the same and we've always had the same things and we're just doing a better job, you know, through every iteration of them throughout history. And we've always had, you know, communication with people. And now we have, you know, all the different apps to do it in weird, stupid ways. And we have email, we have all this other crap, but it's all just communication. Or there's this other take, which is like, we're out of cool stuff to make. So we're going to make the same things over again. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird. The whole idea of kickstarting a website too is also weird. Well, maybe as, as designers, it's not so much about making more stuff, but just uh, maybe thinking about other things that we can design or other ways we can impact people's lives. Like, you know, I was talking to a friend today recently and it kind of the question came up was like, why does every designer have to make another useless app that nobody will ever see? Like, why aren't we designing for larger systems or for more social good, like healthcare or government? Why aren't those cool? Well, I think those could be very cool, but I think the problem is 
you can say that and then I'll say, okay, act on it. And you're like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I think a designer, that's such a long path that it would be a difficult thing to get into. I think, wasn't that the a hypothesis that maybe that was like what Square was trying to do? Like there, you need a lot of, a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, political ability to get yourself in a position to be able to do something like that. Whereas it is pretty easy to just kind of decide you're going to make an app and you can actually have something to show for it within a relatively short period of time. It's a, a lifetime of work to do the other things. Yeah. Which I, I think is a, a, a valiant effort, but I, I feel like we, we bring that up, you know, we brought that up before and it's just, we're also not doing it ourselves. Like it's a very difficult, it sounds great. And, and it's just so difficult that it's not for lack of trying that not just designers, but anyone hasn't done it. It's uh it's an incredibly difficult thing to tackle. I, I was talking to, you know, I have friends that work in uh, nursing or, you know, the, the medical industry and are constantly lamenting all of the terrible software they have to interact with. And they're like, why aren't people like you making this better for me instead of, you know, making Jittergram and bullshit like that? Um, and, you know, there's so many aspects to it. Part of it is that, uh, you know, I think on, on the highest level, like, there's so much quick, easy money right now in, like, shitty, stupid technology. I think that is, like, the, the bubble aspect of the tech world. Like, I don't think technology is a bubble. I don't think we're going to be using, like, less technology soon. Um, but I think the amount of money you could make, you know, making some dumb social thing that, uh, you know, is a free app that a million, million people use to, like, send stickers to each other. Um, that I think is is a we're gonna look back on that I think in like ten years and be like that was a silly time in in our in our <laughs> in our existence, um, but it's like that that is so easy and so much money in that right now like that's where people are gonna go like you can without having to deal with legacy systems without having to deal with uh you know a bunch of important data without having to deal with real issues like people's health you can you know make a bunch of money so people are drawn to that um, and as designers I mean I think designers as much as we like to sort of tout the designer entrepreneurialism thing uh we're largely working for other people that's that's our whole job you know even if you're an entrepreneur you're starting a consulting company if you're you're working for people that are you know otherwise sort of calling the shots on what needs to be done um and so you end up kind of uh designing other people's visions more often than not i mean that's what pretty much all of us are doing i mean we, we try as hard as we can to to keep some time aside for uh, for our own projects and friends of the web but you know we're still 85 90 percent consulting work which is whatever people hire us to do um it also also to take it back to something we were talking about earlier about kind of like living a certain amount of time in a place and then moving and then spending a certain amount of time in a job like there's kind of an expectation that you spend a certain number of years at a job and then you move on and the things that we're talking about are like a lifetime and i, I don't think it's coincidental that like you're probably going to see more movement in jobs from our field than other fields because i think there's something there's there's some something about wanting to be a designer and work on like all kinds of exciting new projects that makes you want to move on after a period of time. And honestly, I think like something like healthcare might be incredibly noble, but it might not be as re like, it might not have those rewards built in quite the same way that some other products, you know, the kind of like the personality that might do very well on, on Twitter, or like become a, a little mini design celebrity or something are maybe not the same kind of people that can slog away at this, this broken system. That's like, requires requires for great design or those people are out there and we don't know who they are because they just don't have they don't have the same they're not doing the same things that um you know someone making upcoming or supplier doing no and a great example i think is uh is is the healthcare.gov thing um you know healthcare.gov launched and was kind of a mess there was a lot of issues and there was actually like a like basically an emergency team that was assembled to go in and fix it 
Um, there were a number of people from the Baltimore area that were part of that team because we're close to DC and we have a lot of sort of tech stuff going on. Um, and there was one designer I follow who was basically called in to do that. I don't know how you get on that list of people that they call when there is an emergency healthcare.gov needs to get fixed, but I know that there was like, you know, a team of young people that went in and kind of like rebuilt that entire thing and got it to where it is now, which is very functional and sort of working. So that, that, that's a very sort of uh, low hanging, comparatively low hanging fruit way that your people can have impact. Um, but that's the kind of thing where I don't know how you like decide you want to be on that team and that's what you care about. That's what you want to help with. I don't, I don't think it's a job listing anywhere. I think you have to kind of like, I don't know, be on the list that they call like Ocean's Eleven style. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about it to be entirely defeatist about it. It is, it is a huge, massive issue, but I do think it should be on more minds. And, uh, you know, they should be having projects like this in school to, like, kind of encourage people to think about this rather than just, like, purely commercial or capitalistic things that most designers have to do. There were definitely projects that actually, honestly, in, in schools, there's a lot of social design stuff. But it's just not in a practical way. Like I'm sure, I'm sure you've had like the you know the social design poster thing, which is you know it makes you feel nice, but I'm not sure if it's actually doing anything. Wait, social design poster? You know what I mean? Like we're gonna design an anti-smoking poster. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, that, that's, did I phrase that, that poorly? That, that's just not that, that's not a thing that I was aware of. I don't think that was ever part of the social design Wait, conversations really? at Micah. No, like, uh, a, like a public service. Like we're like... gonna we're gonna yeah, like we're gonna do the public service poster or the pro bono poster, like. You should stop human trafficking. This is what this is what lead paint looks like. Don't eat it. Well, I guess not. Actually, that's a more that's a more practical one that might actually work. I mean, like the kind of the more pie in the sky uh, assignment. I thought this was a pretty universal thing. I feel like Emily, am I am I crazy? Um, well, I went to a conceptual art school, so we. I don't recall ever having things like that either. Interesting. Okay, maybe I'm 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 on an island. No, we definitely. I definitely had teachers that kind of professed. Um, you know, one, like, do, you know, do some sort of design that's going to change someone's life. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of the results we got were maybe a little shallow because we didn't really know what to do with that. Um, and also, like, things like Project M, where it, it maybe delves a little bit more into it, but sometimes I'm not sure that the results really did anything. Like, I think sometimes you, we just want to do something noble, but we're not sure kind of where to point that arrow. There's definitely a lot of... Uh, sort of puffed up chest self-righteousness in the design world, uh, which you see a lot in the Project M's. And, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time dealing with, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Like social, social design is a big, Mike even has a social design program, which I think is still one of the only ones in the country that it has, that has a social design program. So it's a big deal at Micah and I have very mixed feelings on it. Um, but I think that, you know, the idea that like, oh, we're going to go into this, you know, really uh, disenfranchised community, uh, you know, in Greenville, Alabama, and we're going to start up, pie shop where people can come in and talk to each other it's like all right i can see how you can like you know pull pull the threads together from you know a vast distance i've, I've literally been in a project m class in that pie shop i'm not kidding yeah I, I, that was a very concrete example um <laughs> but it's like yeah like I, I i get how you can sort of like in a very grandiose terms talk about how like this pie shop is you know changing the way that citizens interact with each other and making these problems, you know, come to the surface. And it's like, well, but at the end of the day, you really just you have, you have a pie shop there. Like, where's the, if someone did like a research uh, study, like an academic, academically rigorous research study on the outcomes of the pie shop in Greenville, Alabama, I doubt there would be any positive public health outcomes or positive, you know, social whatever outcomes from that that you could actually measure. It's just kind of like a fuzzy thing that designers love to put in this context of like, look how great design is. We can think about problems differently and be quirky with how we solve them 
the designers that did this product, did they ever talk to the people that actually went to the pie shop and yeah. got their opinion on how it was? Yeah, that, that was that was the whole deal. Is like uh, the way the way the pie shop works is that it's free. You can come in and eat pie whenever you want, but you have to eat it there. Uh, and so as part of eating it there, you're going to interact with the people that run the pie shop, which are these design students, and you're going to interact with other people from the community. And that's kind of like the that's the intervention for to use their language uh, is this sort of you know shop where that is the uh, that's the sort of shtick. Okay, but I meant like talk to people about how the people in the community felt that the project went yeah i I think i think they all like the free pie shop like i think they're they're real into it Uh, i think if you ask them like do you like free pie they're like yes free pie is good i talked i talked to earl for the first time in six years (laughs) even though he lives two two blocks away from me i like the pie shop that's the kind of social design i was exposed most to i I never got the kind of like public service uh kind of poster you're describing matt it was always project m style where it's like much more specific but at the end of the day, arguably just as kind of uh, kind of high level and uh, hand wavy in terms of what it's actually doing uh, for for good uh, as as that other project is. Having gone to the pie shop, it was the assignment. Like I spent a a week was a week something like that. Spent a week at the pie shop, um, kind of starting out, kind of walking around town, interviewing people, asking how wait, they wait, felt wait, about wait, wait. not just the pie shop. Matt, can I, can I what? guess what you did on your... We've never talked about your, your Blitz specifically. No, we've never can, talked can about Can I Blitz. guess exactly what you did, more or less? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I, I've also never been to Green Valley. I've never been on at Project M Blitz. Um, but I'm guessing that, you know, like, like you said, you sort of spent a lot of time uh, talking, uh, talking with other people and sort of getting to know the community, really trying to figure out their problems. Uh, you had a big bunch of brainstorming sessions where you got some big pieces of paper out. You did some think wrongs. You wrote some words sure, down, you sure did some did. free association, uh, you yep. did some team building exercises with the designers you were there with, and ultimately you decided to throw some sort of event or party at the end of the week uh, that had some sort of weird, quirky theme, and you tried to bring everyone in the door, uh, and then at the end, everyone felt kind of good about themselves. Is that what happened? It was very close. <sighs> the one thing, I can't remember, there, because they did a lot of different teams, I can't remember all the different projects, but I do remember the, the recipe sharing uh, design, mm-hmm. like the... Uh, a series of boxes that had and and blank cards that would encourage people to write down recipes for pies and then share them later. So that was that was the most memorable mm-hmm. one of the group. But you're not that far off. Anyway, I don't mean to be so cynical about no, it. No, I, I, mean, I, I think... do think it's uh, it was it was. I had a lot of fun. It was a great experience. I was kind of you know thrown out of my comfort zone. Absolutely, um, tasked with kind of walking around town and talking to people that I would not have otherwise talked to. But I don't think like. Certainly, it is a very poor town that has not been lifted out of poverty. It's not like I don't think it's had um, any like massive effects. But free pie, man. That's that's, that's the challenge. Like if if someone said, "Hey, I want you to I want you to be in charge of of introducing a better social design program to a college," what would you do? I I wouldn't really know where to start. It'd be, it'd be a tough one. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I have like, no idea. Like I, we're being critical about it. I think it's important to be critical about things. Ultimately, who knows? I mean, I, I think social design is really important for education. I think it has a hugely important role in the education of a designer as an analog for what all design really is. Um, and I think what you really learn through social design is that ultimately you are not the audience for everything you do. Uh, and you learn that in a very concrete way with social design that you don't learn in other things. I think, you know, if you're in a class and you're making some branding assignment, you're making some poster, you're making some website or brochure. Um, most students are doing it to their own tastes for themselves. It's like, this is a thing I will like that I know how to use. I'm going to make it. Um, and social design very much sort of pushes people outside of that mold and makes them... I, I think it's also important for thinking about design outside of, or thinking about the system of design as a whole, like who you are actually designing for. But yes, but like, what are you doing with design? Is it, are you simply using it to sell more products or sell services or, you know, influence 
corporate interests or are you using it for something that actually impacts society and can make people's lives a little yeah. bit better and I, th- I think that if i think that if if designers felt like there was a crossroads where they got to choose one of those then there'd be no question that most people would choose that other one but the, the reality is that, like i feel like never, you don't you never get to that point where it's like oh well, now i get to choose and i'm gonna either sell cigarettes or i'm going to you know educate children and uh spread clean water throughout the entire world um it, it's not so cut and dry it's kind of like like, I mean, Cards Against Humanity is a bunch of amazing uh, charity work. And, you know, I think Max is always doing some really interesting stuff with, uh, you know, making sure that the, the footprint, the overall output of Cards Against Humanity is a really positive one. Um, but ultimately, that's all facilitated by the selling of cards with dirty jokes on them. Like, that's kind of, at the end of the day, the, the, the entire, like, you know, <laughs> fire in the furnace of that, of that engine. Yes, I mean, I, I, that, that, is, that is quite true. But it's also, um, you know, sort of the notion of it and seeing... The game itself, like, I mean, especially if you talk to Max, like, he will tell you, point blank, that the game itself is sort of a political act, and yeah. playing games is, like, a certain type of interaction as a whole, which, you know, I agree with as well. And it's, like, the way I see it is that we, yes, we make a lot of money doing what we do, but we essentially try to use it in a way to sort of contribute to charities and contribute to social good, or sort of mess with people which in turn makes us more money and makes us more famous <laughs> and kind of perpetuates this really weird capitalistic cycle that we're in. But at least we like to shine a light on it. And that's what's really I important. really like when you mess with people. That's my favorite thing. I think as a designer, <laughs> so I think as a designer, you have to do that, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've said on the show before that, like, the, the proudest thing I am, like, the thing I do that I'm most proud of is not any of the design work I do strictly. Like, we've designed some frankly like egregious shit for like some weird shitty startup that does some like shitty stupid thing it's totally pointless um at the end of the day what i'm proud of is that like on a very local level i am proud that like friends of the web can provide like a great job for a few people that uh that we're able to sort of like employ uh, and that job is a healthy workplace that provides healthy benefits and like that to me is like the little bit of good that i know i can do in the world I don't know how I can, with my graphic design skills and my knowledge of color and typography, like make the world a better place, except for to sell that, to make some money, to pay for some health care for my friend Tim. Like, like th- that's kind of like where I ultimately land. Is like, I think designers oftentimes want to have a very direct route where it's like, I'm a designer. I, you know, create new ideas and I put new stuff into the world and I'm a cultural sort of catalyst and I need to sort of use this power for good. It's like, or you could just, you know, take money from whoever wants to give it to you and then do great stuff with that money. And I think that's kind of what Cards Against Humanity does too. Like, Well, well no, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a designer, but I, I don't ever acknowledge this, you know, doing absolutely everything myself. I work with a team of really amazing people. And if Max didn't exist or either any of my coworkers didn't exist, Mm-hmm. You know, my job wouldn't exist either. You know, I don't think it's like about selfishly coming here and like saying, oh, I single-handedly solve everybody's problems because no, I'm merely sort of an advisor and facilitator on a lot of these things within a large group of people. Emily, was that fit? Were we fair to uh, to kind of the the statement of purpose? Was that... I don't know if I asked you like what you would do if you had to if you were tasked to to hand that off to a student and say I would do this about. Did you have something in mind that you wanted to talk about, or did we did we touch on it well enough and were we fair to it? I I mean you're a bit pessimistic about it, but I think I'll leave it as it is. Welcome to On the Grid. You were a bit pessimistic about it, but overall, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know I think we're I, uh, critical voice is important and uh, everyone should be happy. Were we too pessimistic about the social design thing? I feel like we just I I don't I, we have to be we have to be clear with the words. I don't think it's I really don't consider myself a pessimist. I consider myself 
healthily critical. I, I like 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 I think skepticism is really important, uh, and I, I try really hard not to be like Eeyore about anything. Like, woe woe is me, desires can't change the world. Uh, well, I mean, I think you're just reaffirming a dominant uh, dominant train of thought within the design world, and I, I thought I was being a little bit more critical of it, but. No, no, actually, no, I mean, if, if you don't mind, explore that for a second. I don't. I mean, I, I just I just maybe was thinking about it more politically in terms of like, you know, the U.S. I mean, thinking about like, say, the U.S. versus Europe and the U.S. being a little bit more capitalistic and commercial within its design world. And, you know, many people in Europe see working for and again, Europeans can call me out on this, but many people in Europe see working for perhaps more of a cultural institution or something more towards a uh, social good as a higher calling than working for a startup or Facebook or something like that. You know, and perhaps it's maybe more because the tradition of design is a little bit more etched into Europe, whereas the U.S. is very uh, kind of hard and fast and you make your money and you kind of leave. Maybe that's it. I'm not yeah. quite sure. Yeah, I mean, for every, I, I, I understand. I think, I think I see that kind of cultural thing you're talking about, but at the same time, I have met just dozens and dozens and dozens of people that are trying to come to America to work for startups and get their like visas in order so they can do that because that's like the promised land of technology. Uh, well, yeah. And I mean, also to counter like Europe doesn't exactly have the best economy right now. So I can totally see why, yeah. you know, there's maybe more money or just something more interesting or more adventure in that. All right, let's, let's, let's do the happy ending. Emily, do you have something you're prepared to talk about uh, to give us a happy sort of outro? Uh, sure. So recently my office uh, made a massive financial investment in the purchase of 2,000 Lisa Frank stickers that we have just put all over everything. And that is the happy thing in my life right now. Looking at really colorful, maximalist design that, frankly, I think I should... Should, uh, should be seeing more of. There is something about Lisa Frank where it's like that is the most of a, of that thing you could be. Like you've never seen anything that was more intense than Lisa Frank, right? Yeah, I hope that's the next design trend. I hope uh, for 2015, flat design is out and Lisa Frank is in. And just as much on every <laughs> square inch of whatever you're designing as possible. But... Just turn it, turn everything rainbow. I mean, it's June is Gay Pride Month, so we should uh, we should all celebrate a little bit. A, uh, one time, a friend of mine went to Japan and brought back uh, little like souvenirs for everyone in my house. And my roommate got uh, a pack of, I think it was a thousand uh, little poop emoji stickers. Um, uh. <laughs> and then my roommate proceeded to drink a bottle-ish of wine and then just put these little poop emoji stickers all over everything in our entire house. Uh, and we were finding them for like a year later. And they're still there, I'm sure. We've, we've since moved out of that house. And who knows who's finding them and where they're being found. But uh, that was kind of a fun little uh, extended extended prank. The, <laughs> the poop emoji stickers all over everything. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Emily. I really oh, appreciate yeah, wait, we should, you. Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, I'm going to keep our recording on for a second and say thank you, Emily, for joining us. And Emily, you can be found on Twitter at uh, mhash, and that's E-M-H-A-A-S-C-H, right? Uh, yes, it is. And then is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, a website, a blog? A, where, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'll leave it at my Twitter profile. Um, if you are in Chicago, more specifically, I do. Th I have a current project which is called the Design Chicago Design Book Club. If you like reading design books and talking about them, the same depressing shit that you guys like to talk about on this podcast, um, <laughs> oh, you should no. totally 
totally sign up for our little mailing list and we meet once a month at a different location in the city and talk about books and sometimes eat sushi and do other cool stuff. So that's basically, um, you can find us at designbookclub.com. And that sounds super fun. If you're in Chicago, yeah. you should do that because it sounds great. We might just we might just eat sushi in your honor. Hooray! <laughs> Eating animals <laughs> is murder. Pessimism. Yeah. Hey, they hey they have California <laughs> rules nowadays. So all right, eat some vegetable sushi. That better be some organic, non-GMO vegetables in that California roll. Portland sushi. Portland. Roll. Yeah, Portland roll. <laughs> oh man, Portland roll is just uh, it's wrapped <laughs> it's in. It's got a, a lot of beard hairs in it though. It's got beard hairs and it's wrapped in a bike Ew. tube. <laughs> uh, we can we can end now. I, uh. And it's over. This has been On The Grid, episode 71. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, tweet to us using hashtag on the grid, or find us individually at Madam C, at Andy Mangold, and at Dan Hour. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about on the show, visit onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoy the show, please review us on iTunes. Thanks to Emily for joining us this week. And thanks to Blank and Kit, Black Ant, and Cosmic Analog Ensemble for the interlude music and Girlfriends for the theme music. Finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. We like being disagreed with that's our whole thing this whole show is disagreeing with everybody else so it's good to have some internal well stuff. sure <laughs> i don't think emily buys it matt <laughs> all right i don't uh all right <laughs>